How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. Up on the stage, it looks like the rapture happened because um, we have instruments but no musicians. And there's a bunch of empty chairs behind me. The rapture didn't happen. I hope I'm a Christian. I don't even think the rapture's in the Bible. That's another sermon. Let's pray. Before we pray, real quick, um, as y'all know, we have finished our Mark series. And uh, John preached a standalone sermon last week. And as Mo said, over the next uh, three weeks, we're going to start just a real brief kind of three-week series throughout the rest of the month of April. Um, And, you know, our goal as a church is to display the greatness of Jesus in the everyday lives of his people. And that phrase there, everyday lives, we put that there for a reason. So that we don't live under the impression that somehow Sunday is the day for Jesus. Or that we don't live under the impression that there are these kind of spiritual things we do like praying and reading the Bible, but everything else God isn't concerned with. We want us to think about displaying the greatness of Jesus even in the very mundane things that we do every day on a daily basis. And so over these next three weeks, we're just going to talk about a few of the things that just kind of happen for us every single day. We're going to talk about work today. We're going to talk about music next week. I mean, why God gave us that gift of music, something we hear and we listen to and we use all the time in, in relationships in that final week, unless the Lord changes the plans. Okay, we're going to start with work this week, uh, and let's pray, and then we'll get into God's word. Father, we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you for the songs that we got to sing. God, we thank you for the beauty of um, singing songs to you with your people, Father. God, we thank you that you haven't left us alone to follow you by ourselves. God, we thank you that you haven't left us uh, without any knowledge of any other followers of Jesus. We thank you we don't have to follow you on our own. Um, But, God, we're so grateful for your word, and we ask, God, that you'd speak to us in your word now. And, Father, we pray that um, as you speak to us from your word, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. Father, if your Holy Spirit doesn't work, we're wasting our time. So we pray that he would, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Well, as most of you all know, I have kids. One of my kids is three years old. And three years old is a really interesting age for many, many, many reasons. One of the reasons it's so interesting. Now, I feel like people talk about terrible twos. And maybe it's just the alliteration didn't work as well with threes, but I think it's three. Um, One of the really interesting things right now is that uh, it's also amazing just to watch a kid develop is my son is really curious and he's really smart. Now, I think he's a genius. I could be biased, though, because he's mine. Uh, But he's really smart and he's really curious about everything. And so that's an amazing, beautiful thing to watch. One of the unfortunate byproducts of that is that he asks a question Every single moment, he's too curious. Literally anything that happens, he wants an entire explanation for it. Yesterday, my wife was just moving some stuff from a room to another. He's like, why did you do that, mom? Why did you put that chair right there? Why did you put the, why did you do all of this? Those were his exact words. Anything that happens, he wants to know why. And it always follows up with another why. He wants an explanation for your explanation. You know, so, Daddy, why are you coming to church later than us? Ah, oh, well, you know, I'm preaching today, so I'm just be praying, looking on my summer. But why? Well, God's people need to hear God's word. But why? Because the spirit of God works in us. Well, why? Because that's how God did it. And then it just keeps going forever. Uh, one comedian said, a kid keeps asking why until the questions get so abstract that you don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> but why is God? Because God always is. But who? I don't know. Uh Trust me. And uh, sometimes I feel like I have a similar kind of three-year-old in my own soul where when there's things that I know are my responsibility and I've been asked to do, that there's this little three-year-old in my soul that wants to know why. And part of it is because uh, for me, I need to be under the impression that something grand and big and amazing is happening in order for me to do it. There's some people who are just kind of naturally disciplined and driven and diligent, like my wife, who was amazing at school, and she's just really just always kind of gets things done. She's very easily motivated. It's harder for me to be motivated. There's this little kid in my soul that's like, I should take out the trash, but why? You know what I'm saying? 
I should brush my teeth twice a day, but why? I'm just playing. I do that. So I'll be like, I ain't going to talk to him after the service. Right? But there's this thing in my mind, and all of us do this sometimes, where we can get excited about things that seem big and grand, but it's hard for us to get excited about those kind of daily tasks and those mundane things where we have that three-year-old inside of our soul asking why. We need a bigger and better reason. Uh, there was this author, Alan Moore, who talked about one of the books that he wrote, and he said, he was encouraging people to be great, and he said, if you really want to be great, you need to treat whatever work you're doing, you got to treat it like it's a God. And like what you're doing is so important that it's like a worship to that God. I mean, you got to give your all to it. And so while I appreciated him striving for excellence, I think what he very obviously missed is work itself is not a God, and you don't have to treat it like it's a God in order to do it with excellence. Because there is a real God in the heavens who cares about every single thing that we do, even our work. Even our work, as mundane as it can feel. Work is obviously a really big part of our lives. One of the easiest ways you can tell work is a big part of our lives is when you first meet somebody, the few little small talk things you say to get to know them, you're like, hey, what's your name? Where you from? Where do you live? And you ask them, what do you do? Usually, right? And I know some people don't really like that as an introduction question because we're not defined by what we do. We don't want to, like, size people up. But it's obviously a fair question to ask because that's what we spend most of our time doing. So if I ask somebody what they do and they say they're a student or they're a mom or they're a writer or they're a secretary, you know, I get an idea of what they spend their time doing. Work is a big part of our lives. I heard a guy recently talk about how technology is going to mean we don't have to work anymore. And the obvious question you start to think is, well, what are we going to do? Like, are we just going to have nonstop parties? Like, what are we going to do? Because work is part of what we've been made to do. It's hugely important. So when we begin to define work, I'm not just talking about a a job where you go to an office and type. I think uh, Tim Keller had a helpful definition of work. He said that work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. I'm going to read that again. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. That's, that's what work is. That's what God has, has put us here to do. And here's the thing. One of the main things I want to drive home. The most important thing about your work, when you're thinking about your faithfulness to God, is not the particular task that you've been given, but the posture that you carry it out with, right? So we should not think that there are particular jobs or vocations or ways to spend your day where you can really glorify God at a 25. But if I'm just a secretary, I can only glorify God at a 7 or an 8. No, no, it's your posture of heart that you need to think of when you think faithfulness. John the Baptist was baptizing people, um, and they came to him. Some tax collectors, they said, hey, you know, I want to be baptized. And they said, they got baptized. I said, hey, what am I supposed to do now? I'm a, I'm a tax collector. This is, this is what it says, Luke 3, 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, John the Baptist, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, hey, what shall we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. John the Baptist does not say, hey, go be preachers. Everybody has to be a preacher of the gospel in order to honor God with their work. He says, do what you're doing in an honorable way. Right? So when we find ourselves with that tither in our soul saying, why? How does this even honor you, God? Scripture's telling us that God cares about it very much. I want to read Colossians 3. Starting at verse 23, Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 23. While you're turning there, I'll give you just a little bit of context. Here in Colossians, uh, you know, Paul has laid out what the gospel is. He's beginning to tell us how we should live in light of it. He tells them, hey, you new people, put on the new man. 
He walks through how we should live together as a community. And then he's going to start going through what what's, what uh, people call these household codes. He's going to talk to dads and moms and husbands and wives and kids. And he gets down to talking to bond servants or slaves. And as he talks to them, he talks to them about the way. He does not talk to them about whether or not slavery is a good thing. He wants them to think about how to be faithful in the particular situation that they're in. Right, and so here's what he says. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's God's word. Now, if you have questions about why Paul did not try to dismantle the institution of slavery in this particular passage, come talk to me afterwards because we ain't got time for all that right now. But also, because I preached um, Ephesians 6, 1 to 9 earlier uh, uh, last year, and we were going through Ephesians, and we talked through all of these exact things. So that's up. You can check that out. You can just come talk to me afterwards. All right. So here's what I think the main thing is that this passage drives home is that good work isn't defined by the position you have. It's defined by your posture while you do it. Good work isn't defined by the position you have, but your posture while you do it. And hopefully this will help that little toddler inside your soul as you think about working this week. We're going to look at it in three points. I can always find three points. Number one, instead of just thinking about what it is that you do, we're thinking about that posture. Number one, remember who you work for. Number one, remember who you work for. Those of us who have a job where we leave the house and we go to work in a particular place for a particular person have this kind of interesting relationship with our bosses. When people think boss, not always, but normally, they don't usually first think of really nice, happy things. When people think boss, they, they normally think that person who's making them do particular things. And bosses aren't always good bosses, right? Because bosses come from sinners too, and sinners can do unfortunate things. And sometimes when people have authority, they don't use it in good ways. So we don't always think nice things when we think of bosses. Sometimes we think of them as the, the source of all of our problems. And if they weren't in my life, then I could finally be happy. They're always on my back. They're not nice to me, whatever it is. And this is especially going to be true for the people that Paul is talking to right here. Right? He's talking to, to, to slaves, right? So they did not think well of their earthly masters, and for obviously good reasons, because these, these masters would often treat them like property or subhuman and, and deny them their freedom. But Paul is still going to encourage them to think of what they do as being service to a higher authority than them. And if Paul can say that to these slaves, to these bond servants, and of course, he can say that to us. So I'm going to read the verses again, and I want you to pay attention this time to the focus Paul has on the Lord. Listen, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I wonder who your job is about. I wonder who you're actually working for. It's really clear. Paul is driving home in this passage. No matter what you do, Jesus is your supervisor. Jesus is your boss. So if you're a janitor or a full-time mom or a writer or a student, you work mainly for Jesus. And I know that doesn't make immediate sense to us because we think, man, I looked at my check. It didn't say Jesus Christ on the joint. But I went to a meeting. That dude definitely ain't Jesus. I don't really think of Jesus as my boss, but he is our boss. He is our master. He's the Lord. So that's one thing to note, that 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 word there for Lord, that means master, the one's in charge. All right, we, we hear that word Lord so much that we we, we don't really think of, of what it actually means. So we segment our lives off too much, and we think Lord really just, I don't know, means really nice one, God. Or like Lord is just one of Jesus' nicknames. Well, Lord is not a nickname, it's a title. 
Lord means Jesus is the master. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the one who's in control. And so you think of kids when they're fighting, when they don't want somebody now to tell them what they do, they say, you're not the boss of me, right? And we do that to God sometimes. Like, you're the boss on Sunday. You're not the boss of me here, but Jesus is literally the boss of you. That's what Lord means, right? And, and it's not just in this building. It's not like the, the sovereignty of Jesus can't make it out of here. Like it's confined to Sunday morning in small groups. Jesus is sovereign and he reigns as Lord and King over all things. And in all areas of your life, even your job, what small view do we have of the Lordship of Jesus? That we think for some reason when we enter the workplace, there's a human boss who has authority over Jesus. That somehow Jesus is not at the top of the organizational chart anymore when you walk in the workplace. Our view of Jesus is way too small. If we think Jesus is just the Lord of songs and sermons, then we don't know the real Jesus. Jesus is the Lord even in the workplace. We also forget that work isn't an accident. Or it's not something that we came up with or that we did first. We're confused about that. We didn't do that first, and we didn't come up with it. God did it first. God is a worker. All right, what is the first thing that we see in Scripture? What happens at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2? In the beginning, God created. I mean, the Bible starts with God's work week, right? Gives us day one, day two, day three, day. I mean, he creates the world in six days, and then he rests On the seventh, work is what God does. God is a worker, right? Scripture talks about all of the heavens and the earth as the works of God's hands. Scripture talks about God working in us to follow him. Talks about the work of Jesus. God is a worker. This is not something that God sees as something that's below him. So when God tells us to work, he's not telling us to do something that's beneath him. He's lovingly calling us to join him in what he's already doing. He's asked us to be his co-workers. Lovingly. My son, the same three-year-old son who asked too many questions, one of the other things he loves to do is help my wife with dinner. Help my wife with dinner. That usually means standing on the stool and making it take longer while my wife makes dinner. Right, because he wants to help with stuff. He's like, oh, mom, can I chop that? It's like, you can cut your finger off. So it's like, just put your hand on mine as I chop. It's not really helping that much. Right, but, but here's what happens. He sees the things that his parents do, who he loves. He sees what grown-ups do, and he wants to be called into that. And my wife is loving and gracious enough, well, even though he's not much help, to kind of pull him into that process. And it's the same thing with God. And that God has created all things and he is a worker. And God is lovingly calling us in. And God is not, we're not servants of God in the sense that there's some work God doesn't want to do so he makes us do it because he's lazy. Or this isn't a thing where God isn't powerful enough to do it on his own so he created some helpers. God doesn't need your help. God would get it done more efficiently without your help. Remember that time when he created the world with words? I think that's more efficient than what we're doing. But here's the thing. God has called us to work because he loves us. And he made us in his image. And he's called us into that. So when we think of work, as this thing with this boss makes us do a bunch of stuff we don't want to do. That's not the most helpful way to think about it. God is our boss, and God has called us to work. And if we don't have that thinking behind all the work that we do, we're going to be in trouble. Listen to Psalm 104, 19 to 24, where, where they talk about everything that God created and what he made it to do, the things that it does. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in the den. Man goes out to work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. 
In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So here the psalmist talks about all the things that God made and what he made them to do. Lions roar, beasts creep about, the sun rises, and man works. Work is not something that gets in the way of us living. Work is the way that God has made us to live. It's what we do. It's what he made us to do. And it's a gift because it's what God does, right? Again, not something that's beneath him. So somebody may say, well, how are you saying Jesus is my boss? Like, bro, I'm a secretary. I staple papers and make copies and answer phone calls. You think Jesus cares about it? Jesus has greater things to think about. But when you think about it like this, that God made us to work, that's what he made us to do, then of course he cares. And if Jesus is really sovereign and Lord over all things, then of course he cares. And if Jesus really, when he created us, said, hey, uh, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and told Adam to work the garden because it's what he made us to do, then of course he cares. All of this is his. He's the supervisor and he's watching over it. And of course, Jesus cares about what you're doing at your job every single day. Now, of course, work is much harder because of the fall, right? Work isn't easy. You're like, you're making work sound nice. That ain't what it feels like to me. So it's much harder because of the fall, but it's still a gift, and we can fight to see it that way. I wonder if you ever see work as a gift from God. Right? I wonder if you ever look forward to Monday as an opportunity to be like God instead of just as another burdensome day. Work is a gift. And here are the things that can happen as we think about work is we can either um, idolize it or we can demonize it. These are the two extremes we can go in. We can become these workaholics who don't want to do anything but work, just work all the time, or we can become these lazy people who see work as the source of all of our problems. We can idolize it or demonize it. And both of those extremes, when we make work an idol, Instead of a gift given by the true God, then we begin to build our lives around it. That's what we do when we make things idols. We treat them as God and we build our lives around it. And then here's what happens. Everything that doesn't serve that God of our work feels like a nuisance to us. It feels like an interruption. So that if you make work the center of your life, then of course your family's going to feel like an interruption to you doing what really matters. And if you make work the center of your life, then of course church life is going to feel like an interruption to you living the way you were made to live. God himself will feel like an interruption, like I don't have time to read scripture, God, I'm working. That's idolizing work. That's an extreme, and it doesn't honor God. It dethrones him. But on the other side, we cannot demonize work. Right? Work is a good gift from God that he gave us. So let's not idolize it or demonize it. Both of those are incorrect. And so somebody may say, okay, that sounds nice that Jesus is my boss. Maybe I'll get a bumper sticker, but what does that mean for my life? Why does that actually matter for what I'm doing day to day? Here are two really clear reasons. Because Paul makes really clear you work for God, not for men. Do it as if it's for God and not for men. So what difference that he makes? One very clear thing is you don't like to take orders from people that you don't like. Right? You don't like to do things for people that you don't like. Which is why some of y'all right now don't like your boss and you've been doing your job poorly. Come talk to me after the service so I can rebuke you in love. We don't like to take orders from people that we don't like. Even if somebody just asks you for something, even if it's not your boss, it sounds different depending on who it comes from. If someone that you love, that you care for, who's done a lot for you says, hey, can you just give me a drink of water? You're like, yes. What kind of water do you want? If you want Fiji, I will fly to Fiji to get that water for you. God bless you, right? That's how I feel about my wife. Um, um, but if somebody you don't like asks you for something, it could be much smaller. It could be like, hey, my water's right here. Can you pass it to me? You're like, you think I'm your servant? Get your own water. And it's because of the person that it comes from, right? So then when it comes to our work, 
You know, it's easy to be motivated to do something for somebody who loves us and someone who we love, right? When we know we're not being used by somebody but love, when we know there's a good reason for asking for it, when we know they've been good to us, so there's no request, right, that's out of line. And God is the perfect picture of this, right? God doesn't command us to work because he wants to use us, but because he loves us. He doesn't need us to accomplish anything. It's an act of love, right? And he's done so much for us. There should be so much gratitude that leads us to want to serve him and listen to him. So if God is, so if Paul is going to tell us we need to work with all of our hearts, then it matters who we work for. It matters who the orders come from. That if we're actually working for Jesus, it doesn't matter if your boss is a jerk. It honors Jesus to do what he asks. Right? It honors Jesus. Knowing that God is our ultimate boss matters in that way. But it also helps us to remember who we have to answer to. Right? If you're at work, you ever been at a job where the boss leaves or has a vacation day? Everybody wilds out. Nobody does anything. Having parties, drinking stuff, breaking stuff, leaving early, and then cleaning up the evidence. But when your boss is there, especially if your boss is near you, don't let you. I mean, if you got Facebook or something open... And you back to work, right? Because you know you have to answer to them. And here's the thing. Again, we have to think about who it is that we're accountable to. Who will have to answer to at the end of the day? At the end of the day, at the end of your life, you will not stand before your earthly master, your earthly boss. You'll stand before God. And you'll have to answer to God for the way that you did your work. If you didn't work hard, if you didn't do it with all your heart, as Paul's going to tell us to do in a second, well, then we'll have to answer to God for that. It matters who we'll have to be accountable to. It matters for the way that we do our work. And in this sense, because Jesus is our boss, there's no such thing as purely secular work. That's not a thing that exists. There's no work that's not actually spiritual. And in this sense, because all of work is all of the work we do is serving Jesus. Ultimately, everyone's in full time ministry. Everybody's in full time service of Jesus. Everything you're doing should be done as unto the Lord. And if Jesus is our boss, that means it changes how we gauge whether or not we're doing our work well. Right? It changes whether or not we're willing to bend rules or step over people or hurt people for the sake of a work goal. Right, there are things your boss might ask you to do that you won't do because your ultimate boss wouldn't approve. It matters that Jesus is our boss. Right, it helps us to remember that our work isn't mainly about us or even the people that we serve. It's mainly about God. It helps us not to be people pleasers, always just wanting to make another person happy. It frees us from that trap because we know at the end of the day, the end of my life, I'm not answering to you, I'm answering to Jesus. I want to do my work with faithfulness. And this is the reason, because we work for God, that there's sometimes when that little toddler in our soul will ask why. And sometimes, even if you don't feel like doing it, you don't see the value of it, faithfulness means just obey Jesus and do what you got to do. So that there's sometimes when my son will ask why, and I'm like, because I said so. And I, when I was in high school, my parents used to do that when I was a teenager. And I was like, I will never do that to my kids. That is unfair. First of all, what an arrogant thought for a teenager to have. I'm not even washing my own clothes, but I'm thinking I have better parenting skills. I will always give my kids a reason so that they'll learn. But sometimes it's like your little mind won't even understand it, so you got to trust me. You just got to do what I ask you to do sometimes. And in the same way, there will be times in our work where that little toddler's like, but why? I don't want to do this. Why am I in this situation? And faithfulness will mean obey Jesus and do it. Because he's called us to do it. And our supervisor is Jesus. Who we work for matters. Who we work for matters. And good work isn't defined by your position at work, but your posture while you do it. So number one, who you work for. Number two, how you work. Not just what you do, but how you do it. We all know we can do something, but not do it in the right way. You know, sometimes it's obvious that somebody's doing something for you, but they're not happy about it. They're frustrated that you're making them do it. We've all had bad customer service. 
Comcast is the worst company in the, in the world. That's not even my example. I just felt like I had to get that off my chest. It should be ended immediately. If you work for Comcast, I'm not sorry. Help it get better. Um, but moving on, all of us maybe have been to a restaurant. I've been to restaurants before, and you, you ask somebody for something like, hey, can I, get, uh, can I get some more bread? And people act like I came to their house and asked them for bread. Like they're annoyed at me for asking them. Like you, When you put on a name tag, people might ask you for stuff. And they're like, all right. And they get the bread and slam it down on the table like there's your bread and then walk off. It's like, yeah, you gave me bread, but you did it in such a way that it was clear that you didn't really want to do it. Right. And when someone does that, where they do it and it's clear they don't really want to do it and they don't care about what they're doing, we should say their heart's not in it. Right. Like you did it, but you didn't really care about it. Right? It didn't mean anything to you. Your heart's not in it. And that's somehow how we can do our work. And Paul is going to tell us not to do that. I'm going to read the passage again. Whatever you do, work heartily. Whatever you do, work heartily. That is the main command of this passage in Colossians 3, to work heartily. Some of us dream of this day when one day we'll be able to have this job that we can go at with our whole hearts, something that we'll actually like to do. But here's the thing. God has called you to do that right now, whether or not you have your dream job. This is a current command. This is not one day maybe you can work heartily. He's saying do this right now. And the hardest thing about that for many of us is that we don't really love our work. So we're thinking, how could I ever do this with all of my heart and my soul? But that word heartily means just that. In Scripture, the heart is the center of your being. So to work heartily means work wholeheartedly. Not just working with your body, but from your soul. It means work like you mean it. Work with all of you when he's called us to do that. I mean, this is one of our problems, especially while we're young, is we always think, hey, one day when this happens, life's going to be good. Like life is hard right now, but then when I get that job, or then when I graduate, or maybe when I do this. And that's just a very naive perspective. The world is not going to stop being fallen when you reach that next milestone. And we cannot do that with our jobs, thinking, man, look, I'm going to just do this. I'm just trying to get a check right now. But one day I can work with all of my heart. God has called you to do that right now. There is no perfect job because all of our jobs exist in a fallen world. Unless you got another world to go to, your job will be difficult. I talked to an astronaut one time. Not the kind who just works at the office. Like he was in space. He told me space stories. That was a funny phrase. <laughs> but it's true. That's what happens when you try to talk about stuff you don't know about. He told me space stories. Uh, he was in a Voyager. And, nah, nah. But, but as I talked to him, he talked to me about how he envied what I'd do. And talked about the things that he wishes he could do. I have a friend who's a professional basketball player who one time I talked to, and he really dislikes his job. He wants to stop. A job that most people would say, if I had that job, life would be good. Because then I would have bread and I would get some rims. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I had some rims and they were cool for five weeks and then I got tired of them. Right? While we're in this fallen world, there's no stage of life, there is no job where everything will magically be perfect. And when Scripture talks to us about our faithfulness, it tells us to be faithful where we are, to find a way to be faithful where we are. And here it's telling us to work heartily. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily. So we don't want to just kind of be idle and just kind of don't really do our work until Jesus returns. We want to work heartily right now. And you'll remember that, you know, the world hasn't always been like it is now where you're like, man, I don't really like this job. I'm about to go on jobs.com. I'm going to go to this job fair. Right? Everybody didn't have this thing where they left their house and did this work and then someone sent them a check. That's a relatively kind of new thing. Right? So when we turn it into this ideal of I won't be fulfilled until I find this perfect job where nothing's ever hard and I don't even have to type, the computer just knows what I'm thinking and everybody, ain't nobody a sinner and everybody has their glorified bodies and everything. Everybody's nice in the workplace and I make a million dollars a minute. Right? That doesn't exist. You know, so when we make it this perfect ideal, 
It's a problem. Not to say we can't dream about a particular job that we want, but we cannot wait to be faithful. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, uh, we read this passage earlier. I want to read it again from Ecclesiastes 2. Now, whenever you read Ecclesiastes, you just got to be ready because it's a little depressing. But what it is is it's raw and it's real. It's just real. One of the things I love about Scripture, we think Scripture is just nice and skipping through fields. Scripture is very honest about the human condition. Ecclesiastes 2, 22 is what Solomon says. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? But to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Solomon basically says, hey, look, work, and if you read all of Ecclesiastes, he talks about work a lot. He's basically saying, hey, work is what you're doing. Like, that's what you spend your time doing. And it's hard. Life is hard, right? Stuff happens. Work is difficult. Friends and family members die. Stuff doesn't go how we want to. And he's saying, basically, since work is what you're spending all your time doing, you should find a way to enjoy it. Since this life is what you have right now, you should eat and drink and be merry and enjoy your work. Right? Sometimes we forget that God wants us to actually enjoy our lives. Like this is the one life on this earth he's given you and God does want us to enjoy it, including our work. But you notice he doesn't say keep looking for a job until you find one you enjoy. He says find enjoyment in your toil. Again, we live in a unique age where we have all these options. But the truth is, not all of us have these options to just go find the perfect job that's going to give us the perfect enjoyment. Solomon says, find enjoyment in your toil. And he talks about that joy coming from God, that God gives to the one who pleases him joy and wisdom. So that when we make work an idol, what we really do is we keep ourselves from the thing that will really help us enjoy it in a God-honoring way. Because when we don't pursue God, we won't have the kind of joy in our work that we need. Instead, we'll just kind of build work up as this amazing idol until one day it falls down and our life is crushed. But if we pursue God and so find joy in him in a way that we enjoy our work, that's the kind of joy that lasts. Because even when your job goes away, your joy wasn't rooted in your job anyway. It was rooted in the God who gave it to you. And so if we want to enjoy our work, if we want to find enjoyment in it, then of course there are times when we want to look for a particular job that seems more enjoyable. So I don't want to discourage dreaming, okay? Dreaming is good, but you should dream responsibly, right? Some of y'all want to dream, you know what I'm saying, um, and not do nothing but dream. Like today, I'm going to write out all my dreams. Tomorrow, I'm going to write them out in Spanish. Next day, I'm going to call my mom and tell her about my dreams. It's like, no, you should get a job and you should dream right before you go to bed after you get home from work. Right? God has called us right now to work heartily. And I say that because I don't want to discourage dreaming because I'm a dreamer. I always have 30,000 dreams about stuff that I would love to do and I pursue them. And there have been times when God has allowed me to do things I've dreamed to do and times when it hasn't worked out like I wanted it to. But I cannot say I'm not going to work heartily until I get to that place. Instead, I want to find a way to enjoy the work God has given me. One of the things we can do is to think about the good that you can do in your work. Right? So one friend of mine who works as a waiter, hey, my encouragement to you is find ways to serve people and give them a good experience. Find ways to be a blessing to your coworkers, right? Think about what God has called us to do in this working and subduing and doing good for other people and figure out how your job does that. If there's literally no good to be found in your job, I don't know what, I mean, one, I don't know what you're doing. Are you a drug dealer? I don't know what you would be doing when there's literally no good to be found in. If there's literally no good to be found in your job, that's probably not the job you should be doing, right? Because it wouldn't even be doing what God has called us to do with work. But there is enjoyment to be found because there are good things happening. So I'd encourage you to do that. 
So when you think about your job, you say, how do I know if my heart is in it or not? A couple questions. Do you ever think about how to do it better? Do you ever think about how to do it with more excellence? If not, then I don't think your heart's really all the way in it. I don't think that's working hard enough. Do you care about whether or not people are served well? Are you just trying to get through it? Right? While you're doing your job, are you thinking, let me make sure I do this so that it's this way. Let me think through this. Or are you just like, let me get to 5 p.m.? Right? Sometimes we're there. We just want to get to 5 p.m. But are we thinking about how to do it well? Do you think intentionally about how to honor God in your work? Right? Scripture says, eat and drink to the glory of God. That's not something that just happens by itself. That happens by specifically trying to honor God with it. Do you ever think through that? Do you ever pray about your work? Good questions to ask to think about whether or not your heart's actually in the work that you're doing. And again, I'm not isolating this to the kind of jobs where you leave the house and you get a paycheck on Friday. Right? Whatever kind of work that we're doing based on the definition we gave earlier. So it matters who you work for, number one. Two, it matters how you work. And lastly, what you get for your work. There's the last thing he's going to talk about here, what we get for our work. Um, I remember my first job when I was um, 14. I worked at Albertsons, a grocery store. Why are you laughing at Albertsons? Um, and I worked at Albertsons as a, a clerk at the register. I can think of many reasons why that was a bad decision for them to hire me. But they did because the dude was my neighbor and he liked me and my dad. So I was a 14-year-old running this join um, this uh, this register. And um, one of the things, because by God's grace, my family, we had everything that we needed. You know, my parents, you know, they were fine and encouraged me to work in order to kind of build up a work. My dad and my mom are really hard workers. But it wasn't like they was making me pay bills and I was working enough hours. So I would get these paychecks and I would have money. Um, and sometimes I would just have like stacks of some of the money I made just in my drawers. And it just felt good to have money. It's like, man, I got money. I can do stuff. I can go to the mall and buy some cheap chains. It's going to turn my neck green. You know what I'm saying? I can hang out with my friends. I can go to the movies. You trying to see this movie? It's on me, bro. <laughs> Been grinding at Albertsons, right? And it felt good <laughs> to have that paycheck. Right? But, but because it felt good, it was this motivator to me to keep working. Like, there was a reason why, even though I didn't want to, after school, I would go to Albertsons and I would scan bananas for a few hours because, you know, there was something motivating me. And many of us, when we think about our jobs, one of our main motivators is to make a check, to provide, right, to, to be able to get things. But that can't be our only motivator. And one of the reasons that can't be our only motivator for any work I mean, especially for stay-at-home moms or those who care for other people and don't, whoever don't get a paycheck for whatever reason. But that cannot be our only motivator, especially for the slaves Paul was talking to who definitely didn't get paid anything, didn't have any earthly inheritance, but he's still causing to work harder, heartily under these unjust circumstances. Let's look at the verse one more time because he doesn't leave them without any incentive to look forward to. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. He's saying, I know you're not going to get a reward from these masters who are treating you unjustly, but just know you will receive a reward from your actual boss, King Jesus. God is saying you have an inheritance waiting on you. And some of us think that sounds nice, but a paycheck is like immediate and I can like buy stuff with it. But let me tell you, the inheritance that we'll receive from the Lord as our reward is much greater than any paycheck. It's way better. First of all, that inheritance is not material things, right? It's not money. And, you know, you can get as much money as you want. Money will always run out. Money is fickle. We run out of money, right? You can't take your stuff with you when you die. You can't take any money with you when you die. Or you say, well, I'm not thinking about that with money. I'm just thinking about trying to survive. Well, you can't survive forever either, right? Everything that money and a and a material kind of paycheck gives you will have to end at some point. The inheritance that we'll get from the Lord Jesus 
is forever, right? It's a forever inheritance, right? It's, it's the kingdom of God. It's not stuff that we can try to buy to build our own kingdom. No, we get to inherit the kingdom of God. Not only that, this, this inheritance isn't like a retirement account. You just work up really hard and you just put away a little bit all the time, hoping that, man, when I die and get to heaven, I hope I got some money in my account. No, no, no. This is an inheritance that was earned by the Lord Jesus on your behalf for his work. And it's waiting there for you. There's no stock market crash that can take away your inheritance. Right? There's no economy thing that can take away your inheritance. As we work and as we strive, knowing that the paychecks that we get, which is a fine motivation, Knowing that those things are not going to last, we know we have an inheritance coming from the Lord Jesus. Man, isn't that helpful if you feel like, you feel like you're not getting paid enough? To know that there are riches stored up for you in heaven, the inheritance from the Lord Jesus. Isn't that helpful if you're a full-time mom and you know your kids don't pay you? They pay you in cries and screams and a lack of sleep. Look, if, if you're a full-time mom, I just want to encourage you. But you may feel underappreciated, right, because you don't get a paycheck. People act like it's not really work. Like, do you work or do you stay at home? My kid, I know my kids are work. All right. You may feel underappreciated even by your husband or your spouse or your family, but I, wanna know, I want you to know it's not overlooked by God. God sees it, and he gave you that role to raise those kids and to, and to love those kids, and it's good work and you will receive an inheritance from Jesus as your reward. Scripture always does this. Where it'll say, hey, you can store up treasures in heaven. Right now is hard. Keep your eye on later. Right? If we only think about right now, we will be twisted. But if we can think about the right now in light of what's coming, we can be motivated. It can free us up to be able to live not just based on what's happening right now, but knowing what's coming our direction. And this kind of future inheritance is what should give us the, the endurance to be able to press through when things are difficult. And there's never been a better example of this than the Lord Jesus himself. Because we know the Lord Jesus came to earth to do a particular kind of work. He was a carpenter, right? He did do those kinds of things. But the main work of the Lord Jesus was to pay for the sins of sinners like you and me. And if we for a second think that that was easy work, we are fooling ourselves. If we for a moment think, yeah, but Jesus, but you don't know, my job is terrible. Jesus is like, let me tell you about my job. I created a world. These humans sinned against me and hated me and rebelled against me. And then I put on human flesh. And then I went to this earth and I breathed the oxygen, this thing that I created, and I had to learn, right? And then these very humans that I created and came to save rejected me and beat me and killed me. This is what Hebrews 12 says about the work of Jesus, encouraging the saints. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the example of Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The way that Jesus pushed through and endured to do his work was for the joy set before him. And saints, there is incredible joy set before you. There is an inheritance that should motivate you way more than any paycheck. And so when you go to work this week and it's hard and you think they don't pay me enough to deal with this, remember that you have an inheritance as your reward. Right? It is not wrong to be motivated by that paycheck. That's a good thing. I'm motivated by a paycheck to provide for my family. But that cannot be my only motivation. That paycheck doesn't last. The inheritance from Jesus does. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, man, I would hate for you to spend your life working for a paycheck only to end and to realize none of it means anything for you. Work in itself is a good thing, but work in itself cannot save your soul. If 
you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you. As we talked about Jesus paying for our sins, look, Jesus died so that you could know him too, and he wants to give you that inheritance. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus. He paid for sins, and he has riches of grace stored up for us. If you want to know more what it means to know Jesus, come talk to one of the pastors after the service. We'd love to talk to you more about that. Um, I'm, I'll just close by saying this. Um, there's a show called uh, Undercover Boss. And in this show, the boss uh, of a big company goes and disguises themselves, usually a very poor disguise, and uh, they work alongside people. And people sometimes are mean to them because they don't know how to do these other jobs. They're like, I'm good at telling people what to do. I'm not good at, you know, whatever it is, making pretzels, whatever their business is. And uh, people are sometimes rude to them. And in the end, they feel bad because they didn't really know who they were, right? And in the same way for Jesus, Jesus is the CEO of all creation, and he came to earth, and then he lived among us, right? And people didn't know who he was, and they killed him, but Jesus is saying, hey, we just should not misunderstand the fact that Jesus came in the form of a man to mean that somehow he's not also the Lord of all creation. Yes, Jesus came, but he died and he rose and he's Lord over all things. And the way that we respond to Jesus is life or death. So as you go throughout your week, I want to encourage you. When work is hard, just remember, you know, if you don't like the task you're doing, faithfulness to God, it's not just about the position that you have, but mainly the posture that you have in your work. So remember who you work for. Remember how you're supposed to work. And remember what you get for your work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the work of Jesus. Father, help that work to fuel uh, our work this week. Father, help us to endure whatever we have to endure for the sake of the joy set before us. Father, Father, pray if anyone doesn't know Jesus, they trust him. God, and help us to honor you as we continue to sing of your goodness. We ask in Jesus' name.